the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatsko. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, Communications Director Dan Hoost is here with the latest from Sullivan County Government. Today is National Wear Red Day, raising awareness that cardiovascular disease is a woman's number one health threat. We'll talk to the American Heart Association to learn more about the warning signs and symptoms of heart attack and stroke. It's also National Children's Dental Health Month, dedicated to raising awareness and promoting the benefits of good oral health to children, their caregivers, and teachers. Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scotton has more from Prasad's Children's Dental Health Program in Liberty. And the Liberty Central School Music School Music Department hosts the 26th Annual Liberty Jazz Festival tomorrow. We get a preview from music director Eric Conway. But first, the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Stocks opened mixed this morning after a report from the Labor Department showed stronger-than-expected job growth last month. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average slipped about 140 points in early trading. U.S. employers added 353,000 jobs in January, far outpacing analyst expectations. Job gains for November and December were also revised substantially higher. Last month's hiring was broad-based, with health care, retail, business services, and factories all adding jobs. The unemployment rate held steady at a low 3.7%. The job market has held up remarkably well, despite the Federal Reserve's effort to curb inflation with the highest interest rates in more than two decades. The surprisingly strong jobs report could delay the moment when the Fed sees fit to start cutting rates. Average wages last month were up 4.5% from a year ago. Wages have been rising faster than prices since last spring. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Israel says it has defeated Hamas in the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunus. That's been the main battleground between them in recent days. As NPR's Greg Myrie reports, the Israeli military now plans to push toward Gaza's southern border. Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant, made a surprise visit to Han Yunus, accompanied by several generals. His appearance lent credence to his claim that Israel had dismantled the Hamas forces defending the city, though there are still reports of limited skirmishes. Gallant said Israeli troops intend to push all the way to Rafah, a town several miles further south on Gaza's border with Egypt. Most of Gaza's civilians are now crammed into the southern part of the territory, with many camped out in tents in the Rafah area. While Hamas is still battling back, Israel says the group is no longer fighting as cohesive units. Greg Myrie, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The Federal Aviation Administration says three people were killed last night in Clearwater, Florida, when a small plane crashed into a mobile home park. The pilot of the plane died, so did two people in a mobile home. At least three mobile homes burned. Officials in Clearwater say the pilot had radioed the airport that he was in trouble just before the accident. An independent commission in Maine is investigating last October's mass shootings in Lewiston. Former reservist Robert Card killed 18 people and then took his own life. Loved ones of the victims testified yesterday. Rachel Sloat was engaged to be married to Peyton Ross. She said they have a two-year-old daughter. She worshipped the ground that he walked on. She was such a daddy's girl. And she still looks for him. She still calls out for him. The Independent Maine Commission has asked for subpoena power to finish its investigation into the shootings. Maine lawmakers are now considering this request. On Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 132 points. The Nasdaq is up 123. It's NPR. Grizzly bears in Montana are waking up early this season due to unseasonably warm temperatures. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton has more. Temperatures in western Montana are jumping into the mid-40s, weather more reminiscent of late March. That's when grizzly bears would typically begin to wake up from hibernation. But these warmer temperatures are already drawing them out of their dens. The Custer-Gallatin National Forest has reported bear activity and has warned locals to carry bear spray as they would in the summer. The Forest Service says as climate change shortens winters, it's become more common to see bears emerge from their dens early. For NPR News, I'm Aaron Bolton in Columbia Falls, Montana. Formula One racing will see a massive change to the driver lineup for its 2025 season. 
NPR's Tristan Plunkett reports Lewis Hamilton will leave Mercedes at the end of this year to join Ferrari. Lewis Hamilton has seven world championships, and that's currently tied with former Ferrari driver Michael Schumacher for the most ever. And he won six of those with Mercedes. And to put this into context, this is like when NFL great Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay in search of another Super Bowl. The Formula One world is still reeling from the announcement. Longtime F1 reporter Will Buxton, who fans may know from his commentary on the Netflix documentary Drive to Survive, posted on social media, quote, For me, it's the single biggest driver transfer in the history of the sport. NPR's Tristan Plunkett reporting. Again on Wall Street, the Dow is now down 130 points. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Kresge Foundation. Established 100 years ago, the Kresge Foundation works to expand equity and opportunity in cities across America. A century of impact, a future of opportunity. More at kresge.org. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. It's Friday and Dan Hoost is here. He's uh, back from a midwinter break. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. It Dan. was a good break indeed. Dan is the communications director for Sullivan County Government, as many folks may know. We had a, a substitute teacher last week, a Cat Scott, legislator for District 5, filled in nicely. So uh, thank you, Cat, and, and welcome back. Yes, thank you, Cat. I listened to it to, while I was away, actually, uh, because, of course, you don't have to be within uh, a, a line of sight range now of the tower to hear JFF. <laughs> you can listen uh, anywhere. Now I really sound like the old fogey that I'm probably becoming. But <laughs> anyway, yes, I listened to it out there. She did wonderful. I was like, well, maybe maybe you just should have her back oh. all the time. No, I'm joking. No, I, and she, well, I it's think, nice to hear from the different legislators, so, too. And we talked about is. having them come in mm-hmm. as well. So we'll, we'll see more of them coming through as, yes. we, as we move She's forward. She's not going to be the only one. There's yeah. others that are interested, and I'm excited to bring them here. Uh, they were uh, meeting yesterday at the legislature in Monticello. Uh, yes. What were some of the highlights of uh, yesterday's uh, meeting for the legislature? A big highlight, and this is one that is near and dear to my heart because I believe so much in, in what we're doing. It's funny. I was never a huge public transportation believer for Sullivan County. I was like, it's just too big a county. and We're not compact like even smaller cities like Port Jervis or Middletown or anything like that. Um, but when we started our Move Sullivan Public Transportation Service and I started seeing the numbers, the ridership numbers, it's like there really is a need here. And people really appreciating this. And then we took an even more unbelievable step where we expanded and at the same time dropped the ticket price to zero Mm -hmm. so that you didn't have to pay. And you still don't have to pay to ride the bus. And I don't know where else that happens uh, in the world. Certainly doesn't happen where I was vacationing. It uh, doesn't happen down in New York <laughs> City, city. Uh, so um, but it happens here in Sullivan County, which I'm just I'm tickled pink about. And we are planning to expand it further. Why? Well, for one reason, our Division of Community Resources, uh, Laura Quigley, who was the one who basically brainstormed Move Sullivan and, and shepherded it from creation to completion, said yesterday at the legislature meeting, that in 2023, Move Sullivan transported over 91,000 people. Now, of course, some of these are repeat riders. We're counting rides mm-hmm. uh, to individuals, but we're not counting trips of buses. Like occasionally the buses might be empty. So our buses probably traveled even more than that. But um, for them, there's very few times that I'm aware of that our buses are actually empty. We we run during the, the time of day when people really need to use these buses to get to work, to get to uh, healthcare appointments, to get to shopping. And they currently cover sort of the, the central part of the county and then down towards Wurtsboro and Bloomingburg. And just in that area alone, 91,000 wow. plus people uh, rode the bus in 2023. I think that's incredible and uh, absolutely amazing. And it also is great impetus for our expansion plans, which will be more, um, officially announced, I guess, later this year, this summer. We're still waiting on some, I think, uh, State Department of Transportation approvals that we need. But 
I am allowed to say that we are looking to expand to, for example, Calicoon, Jeffersonville, Narrowsburg, Livingston Manor, Roscoe, Gramsville, um, Eldred, all, all our outlying communities, basically. I, oh. I've looked at a map, and I don't think there's anything other than maybe way out like in the town of Fremont that we wouldn't be serving. But when you're out in the town of Fremont, you're used to sort of being on your own by yourself <laughs> anyway. So ask ask Kat. She was talking about being out in the town of Fremont. That's where she lives. I grew up around there, so I, I'm allowed to say it. Um, but – for the most part, we are going to be covering the entire county. Now, at the beginning, I think some of this might be one-day-a-week service, not the five-day-a-week that we currently offer on the other routes. But it's a chance to explore, see what kind of demand there is out there, and expand this to communities where I certainly have heard, and I think Laura has as well, that they want this service, that they feel this is useful and necessary. And like I said, 91000 I think there's demand for it. Yeah. And so this summer you will uh, hopefully have uh, this summer yeah, we're expecting plans. to get the the approvals that we need from the State Department of Transportation and then we will be I'll be on here talking <laughs> about it probably just as often as I talk about food scrap recycling pilot <laughs> program. So which by the way since we're talking about food scrap recycling pilot program I'll do it right now. Here at 290 people, we're almost to 300. Oh, 10 more people. So Come on. we just need 10 more people to sign up for this. And, and I do think as snowbirds return and our population swells during the summer, we'll see more people participating in this. So I am now quite confident we're going to hit that 400 number that then we can turn around and say to the state, see, there is demand for a composting service, a free composting service in Sullivan County. So we want to build our own composting facility right here in Monticello. So that's good news as well. Yep. Uh, some other services now online for government. Uh, that was also part of yesterday's meeting. Yeah, our county clerk, Russell Reeves, talked about this yesterday in his monthly report to legislators, which was I had been part of putting this together. So I was excited to hear now that we can really talk about it, which is – he has worked with the state and with a subcontractor to create online portals for people to renew their passports and um, pistol permits, which is something that, listen, people expect now. It's, it's, it's pretty ordinary, but we weren't really offering that through the county clerk site on our county website up until just a few weeks ago. And they're now on there in big letters that says, make an appointment, and you just click on that. And you can make an appointment. Appointments have worked out wonderfully in our DMV. I was, this was another thing I was dubious about when we went to the appointments during the COVID pandemic. Like, well, I hope we go back to where people can just show up because how inconvenient is it if you show up and you don't have an appointment? Found out later that they don't really turn people away unless they're incredibly busy. So we still do accept walk-ins, but it's easier now to accommodate the walk-ins because we have most people making appointments in the DMV. Same thing for passports and pistol permits. You can make an appointment to come in and bring in whatever material you need. You can be assured we're going to have somebody there to make sure that everything that they need that you have and anything you need to provide or do that they can explain it to you. So it's a wonderful service. Like I said, DMV appointments has been very popular. I think this is going to be equally popular and make people feel um, less worried or grumpy about having to come to the government center. <laughs> All right, no comment. Uh, if, if joining, okay, I made it for you. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Dan, who's the communications director for Sullivan County Government, joins us every Friday, uh, except for when he wasn't here last week, and we had Kat Scott from District 5, and mm -hmm. when she was here, we talked a lot about the resiliency plan presentation, Yes, uh, which is great, and again, it's resilientsullivan.com. And uh, the legislator is is asking and, and uh, actively looking for public comment. Right, because this is about resiliency throughout Sullivan County. And as much as some people may want us to at county government, we don't know everything. <laughs> and and I would never claim to. <laughs> so, But I would say that with the combined, uh, what's the word, crowdsourcing of information in Sullivan County, we can know just about whatever dangers and concerns are out there in Sullivan County if people communicate them to us. Because you may live on the edge of a creek down in Glen Spay or Pondetti. And we may or may not know what kind of flooding concerns you have there. Or you may live 
next to some transformer that routinely uh, malfunctions or even explodes over in, I, I don't know, Lou Beach or something. Uh, I'm, and I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus on that one. I'm just coming up with uh, hypotheticals to explain you may know about something that government officials don't. Maybe the utility does. Maybe the local fire department does. But does Sullivan County? Mm-hmm. And for this resiliency plan, we need to know where these concerns are. So we want people to take a look at that plan. It's at resiliencesullivan.com. And then there's a way through there to be able to give us comment and to explain to us uh, what you think may be missing or needs to be even more emphasized than it is in the report, because the whole community will make this a success. And it's about economic, community, environmental resiliency. There are different, you can read the whole Everything draft and presentation and, and all of the things that they're trying to. Because we know there's going to be more there. economic or environmental or utility uh, uh, catastrophes, if you will, there will be issues coming up. We're just, you know, that's that's the times we live in, and we want to be as prepared for them as possible so that we can be resilient. Mm-hmm. ResilienceSullivan.com. Another uh, plan in the works, the Bicycle and Pedestrian Infrastructure Master Plan. Yes. This is really interesting. Uh, there's a, a, a group that has formed uh, through our planning division, that is putting together a bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure master plan. We got some state money for this to create this. It's really focused on our downtown village areas. This is not out in the hinterlands of Sullivan County. We are looking to create safe and efficient pathways for bicyclists and also people who are walking or jogging or running, whatever, in our downtowns. You'll see, for example, on East Broadway in Monticello, we put in bike lanes there. And that was a requirement of some of the federal funding that we had gotten. But now we want to be proactive about it where we're seeing where where can we create bike lanes? Where do we need sidewalks? Where do we need more pathways and trails in our village centers? And we're not just talking about Monticello and Liberty. This is all our hamlets that have some sort of, some sort of core downtown business district. Uh, also, another plan, um, Parks Master Plan in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What is that and how does it sort of differ from the, the bicycle pedestrian plan? Well, we have a number of parks in the county that we uh, oversee or operate. Uh, for example, we have uh, the DNH Canal Linear Park and our museum. We call it an interpretive center down in Wordsboro. We have the Livingston Manor Covered Bridge up in Manor. We have the Stone Arch Bridge Historical Park. These have all sort of operated under one office over the years, but with different plans for each that never really spoke to one another or were thought of as a cohesive whole. So our Parks and Rec Director, Brian Scardefeld, explained to legislators yesterday that he is working on this Parks Master Plan. He's working with uh, a vendor, I believe, uh, Fisher uh, Associates that we have, uh, helping us put that together so that we can make sure that we are looking at our parks in more of a holistic nature. This is not a report that is going to sit on a shelf. This is to come up with action items and plans to not only encourage uh existing folks to use our our parks, but to see how we can get more people into our parks. For example, with Lake Superior, even though that's owned by the Palisades Interstate Park Commission, we operate it. And we found out people wanted walking trails on the far side of the lake, because the only way really to see that at this point is to go by boat over there. Well, we are putting in trails that are going to be over there that you can hike that will not only take you along the lakeshore, but we'll give you some elevation on a mountain behind there that I didn't know we owned, but we own, well, that the Palisades Park Commission owns, but that is part of the park property. And this is all going to be worked into that park master plan mm-hmm. and inform it as to maybe there's some other locations. Like our Minnesink Battleground Park has some great trails with interpretive signage. Some of that interpretive signage, I think, is starting to weather and age. We may need to replace that. So that's what this is going to address. And you're also looking for park workers for summer season. We are. Already. There's, uh, we, we need seasonal workers. And as Brian will say, he'd rather know now than at the very last minute uh, as to whether or not we will have enough park attendants and lifeguards, for example, for Lake Superior. We need people to be interpreters at our D&H Canal Interpretive Museum, something I'd love to do if I had more time. We pay people actually to be in the museum down there. And when folks come along, we can give them guided tours of the museum or answer questions. We sell books there. Language so, interpreters? Uh, no. 
no, park interpreters, people who actually can tell you things that maybe not even the signage can tell you about or can explain to you this diorama was built by this person and explains this part of the Delaware and Hudson Canal. Um, there, there was a guy who used to be down there, the late David Hulse, who was our uh, park interpreter, and he basically was like uh, a tour guide, and he loved talking about the D&H Canal. And that's what we want, people who either know about it already or are interested in local history and are willing and eager to talk to the public about this local history. So we have a lot of opportunities. Click on Find a Job uh, on the Sullivan County website. That's where we have all the seasonal positions listed. Uh, Take a look and and listen. Even if you're uh, in your teenage years, there are some opportunities there, especially like with lifeguarding and uh, with park attendance over at Lake Superior. So it's a good summer job opportunity, especially if you like working outside. I'm glad we're already thinking about summer. Yes, we are. Let's take a quick break and we'll have more with Dan Hoost, Communications Director from Sullivan County Government. This is Radio Chatskill. Radio Catskill supporters include SUNY Sullivan, a community college in the Sullivan Catskills focused on preparing students for the future. More information at sunysullivan.edu. Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the Gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, independent, grassroots, global news. Our reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. People speaking for themselves, providing unique and sometimes provocative perspectives on global events. Democracy Now!, weekdays at noon, right here on Radio Catskill. You're listening to Radio Chat Skill. I'm Tim Bruno, joined by Dan Hoost, Communications Director at Sullivan County Government. Um, wanted to ask, though, uh, before we get into these next topics, uh, have you noticed more folks uh, either tuning in online or attending the legislature meetings so far yet? Online, not not in person. In person, the timing is difficult, especially for people who work. Uh, we meet in the legislature meetings happen at, from around usually nine to noon. Uh, several Thursday mornings a month. So I'd love to see more people in person, but a lot of people don't have the time or ability for that. Uh, but online, yes, we have seen a, a, an increase. People are, are interested in seeing what this new legislature is up to, and I encourage that. We're going to continue promoting that because I, I say this, and I'll sound like a broken record, but an informed electorate is an empowered, a powerful electorate. And you need to know what your legislators are up to. And and as I've said before, these meetings have been sort of legislature or county government 101, Mm -hmm. where if you want to learn about what we do, you can learn right alongside those legislators because they're hearing some really valuable, useful information that won't be repeated over the next few years because they'll know it by Mm -hmm. then or at least should. Mm -hmm. So it's a great time to tune in. Uh, Department of Community Services uh, is uh, changing hours, uh, extending hours. What's going on there? Yes. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we had extended and walk-in hours at a Department of Community Services, which offers all sorts of mental health and counseling services. Uh, but during the pandemic, of course, things got restricted. And then we, we just we had the great staff migration that everybody had out to other things or people stopped working. So when the pandemic ended, we didn't have enough staff to welcome folks back in. We had a staff that really was overwhelmed with the appointments they already had. I'm pleased to say, and certainly our Deputy Health Commissioner Melissa Stickle is really pleased to say, that we've got the staff back. We did a real uh, recruitment effort that I was proud to be part of that got some social workers and caseworkers into our uh, fold. So I'm I'm very happy to say that now, uh, starting February 13th, Community Services is going to remain open three more hours every Tuesday evening. So instead of closing at 5, we will close at 8 p.m. No appointment needed, although appointments are always recommended. Um, but starting February 15th, our mental health clinic, which is part of community services, but it's its own clinic, will accept walk-ins every Thursday between 9 a.m. and noon. 
So if there's a mental health issue, folks are welcome to come in between 9 a.m. and noon on Thursdays. Now, listen, if you're having a mental health issue, you don't have to wait till Thursday on this. This is just the realities of our staffing is not to the point where we could do this 24-7. But we are going to make sure that somebody can help you 24-7. And if you're running into any kind of issue with that, you can give us a call at 845-292-0100. That's 292-0100. Um, we also uh, offer, let's see here, individual psychotherapy, marital and family counseling, medication therapy, crisis intervention, court evaluations, anger management, psychological testing and treatment that reaches youth. Uh, medication-assisted therapy for opioid misuse and addiction. So crucial services for our residents that we're now going to be able to offer more often and more freely than we were before. Another service, uh, pediatric counseling services. Yes. Um, what, what, are, what does that entail, and then where can folks obtain those services? Yeah, this is exciting. I knew this was coming, but uh, Aster Services yesterday put out a press release about this. They're our contractor at Community Services. They are a leading provider of mental and behavioral health and education services for kids, young adults, and their families. And they are now part of our community services offerings at our campus in Liberty. That's 20 Community Lane in Liberty. They provide services for people from infants to age 26 and, of course, their families. Uh, it's a nonprofit, uh, has over a 70-year history of providing services, and they will not uh, force you to pay if you can't pay for their services. This is Pediatric Mental Health and Counseling Services. You are having trouble with behavioral issues with your with your child, or you're concerned about your child. Perhaps there's suicidal uh, talk or or issues about that, and you need to see a professional. But you're like, I don't have insurance, or it won't pay for a counselor. We've got you covered here. This is at Community Services. You call the same number I listed eight four five two nine two zero one hundred. Aster Services have counselors there all throughout the week. And even if it happens on the weekend, we can get you in touch with people to help you if it's an emergency situation. These, just like what I was talking about before, are crucial services. And they're targeted towards infants, children, teens, young adults, sometimes the group that we don't think about as often as we should. And schools can only do so much. They have social workers there, but I can tell you, talking to several of them, they're overwhelmed. Well, this is a new service. This new service is not overwhelmed. In fact, we pay them very well to not be overwhelmed. So this is a place for you to turn no matter your situation, whether you're poor as poor or wealthy as wealthy or anywhere in between, we want to help. Is it a free service? Mm -hmm. Well, there's there's a discounted sliding fee schedule based on family size and income if you can pay, Mm -hmm. but... Aster's mission is no individual will be denied access to services due to their inability to pay. And we don't have some collection agency that calls and follows you up about this. If you tell us you can't pay and you provide sufficient proof of that, that's all that's necessary. And there's information about that on the website as well? On the county website, yes. Again, 845-292-0100 is the number to call. Uh, I would do that even without going to the website if it's an emergency situation. Right. Uh, also, some uh, news uh, for veterans at the government center. Yes. This was another thing that came out of our legislative meetings yesterday because the first Veterans Committee meeting of the year, they only meet every other month, so they didn't meet in January. They met in February. happened yesterday. And there was talk from our Veteran Service Agency Director, Stephen Walsh, about how often his staff who are located right conveniently in the lobby of the government center, still are requested to go out to the parking lot to help out veterans fill their paperwork or or whatever, because these veterans, they're amputees or they have grievous disabilities and injuries from their service with America's armed forces. And one of the things that they've heard repeatedly is if there was a handicap access uh, parking, handicap parking spot closer to the building, they'd be able to, to come in. It's a matter of dignity and pride, too. They they want to be able to make their way in there. But if they can't find a handicapped parking space, and I've seen it personally because I park out there, not in those spaces, <laughs> but um, they're often full. Yeah. So we're going to create two new ones, one uh, as close to the building as we can get, another almost as close to the building as we can get. And they are going to not only have the handicapped uh, sign on them, but they're also going to say for veterans only. 
And I just think that's a great thing to do. And kudos to some of our legislators. I think Brian McPhillips and Matt McPhillips both said, listen, I have legislative parking spots close to the building. I don't need to use those. Veterans are welcome to park in those spots. And one last thing before we go. Yes. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil has declared an early spring. Isn't that wonderful? This morning. I understand Mm -hmm. the county's getting in on the Groundhog Day action. Yes. And now it's really a chance to party. We're calling it our (laughs) Groundhog Day after party. And people, I think, will feel, hey, there's reason to party now. Yeah. It's going to be an early spring. <laughs> so this Sunday, February 4th, from 2 to 4 p.m. at the County Museum on Main Street in Hurleyville, uh, we are going to have a free admission after party where we're going to have music and refreshments. Uh, we're going to have uh, a guy from New Jersey who's a great guitarist, Fred Scholl, who has performed in Grateful Dead bands for over 30 years. And we're also going to have our local band, uh, um, Little Sparrow, along with, our, I think he's a Sullivan West senior, Henry Simon, who's on vocals and guitars, very talented. Uh, and we're, we did throw out an invite to Bill Murray, but, uh, you know, cause we heard he <laughs> likes Punxsutawney Phil and Phil Lesh, uh, from the Grateful Dead. So, um, his attendance is as yet unconfirmed and, uh, probably unlikely. So I'm not going to promise anything, no. but hey, if we invited him, you know, you're invited. I mean, come on, come to this party starts at two o'clock on Sunday at the County Museum. You'll have a lot of fun there. They they have these kinds of events every month. And you can go look around some of our cool exhibits that we have in the museum. Come get your groundhog on. All right. Uh, Dan Hoost, communications director and uh, official groundhog after party master, uh, joins us every Friday. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for uh, the update on Sullivan County government. We'll see you next Friday. My pleasure. Take care. We'll take a break. And when we come back, it's National Wear Red Day. We'll talk to the American Heart Association in the Hudson Valley. This is Radio Chatsko. With Iowa and New Hampshire already in the bag, opponents of Donald Trump are hoping his run for office will be stymied by the 91 indictments he's facing. But right now, none of this matters to him. It's just free airtime. It's just an opportunity to be on CNN one more night of the week. He is very good at winning for losing. On the next On the Media from WNYC. Saturday afternoon at 4 on Radio Catskill. Greetings, I'm Matt Hurtado. Join me on a journey where pixels meet melodies and controllers become conductors. This is Virtual Soundscapes, a show that transports you to the sonic realms of video game magic. In this journey, we'll uncover the hidden treasures of video game soundtracks from the classics to modern day and speak with industry veterans. Join me for the debut of Virtual Soundscapes on February 15th at 10 p.m. Only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. You're listening to Radio Chatskill. This, I'm Tim Bruno. Today is National Wear Red Day, Friday, February 2nd. It's a day to raise awareness that cardiovascular diseases are a woman's number one health threat. Valerie Ubriaco is the development director for the American Heart Association in the Hudson Valley, and she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. And let's let's remind folks what Go Red for Women is all about. Yes. So um, Go Red for Women is the American Heart Association's movement that brings women together to improve their heart and brain health. Um, in 2024, um, actually marks the 20th anniversary for the Go Red for Women movement, and also it's our centennial year. So we're celebrating 100 years at the American Heart Association as well. And, you, of course, Go Red for Women, American Heart Association, uh, advancing research and care. I mentioned in the introduction that cardiovascular disease is a, a woman's number one health threat. Can, let's talk a little bit more about that. And I, I know that we've talked about this before. I'm wondering if people are aware of, of how dangerous heart disease in women is. Yes. Um, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in women, claiming more lives than all cancers combined. Um, nearly 45% of women over the age of 20 are living with some form of cardiovascular disease, and only 44% of women are aware that cardio- cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death. Yeah. Well, I, do, you, do you have any idea as to why that awareness number is, is sort of low? I, I think it's for a couple of reasons. Um, there's definitely less awareness and research that goes 
that has been done on women. Um, it's been more, more studies and research has been focused on men. And another reason as well is that, you know, as, as women being mothers and leaders in the community, you know, we get busy with things in our day-to-day lives that we forget to kind of check in and, you know, check to see how our blood pressure is, check to make sure that we're eating the right foods and making sure that we're carving out times to get the amount of exercise that we need each week in order to prevent cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And you, there's some, um, some notes that uh, the American Heart Association has on, on this. Uh, women are also more likely to be diagnosed with depression and the workloads have increased over the years. So as you mentioned, those stress levels uh, have increased. Another interesting point that you sent, a sort of an alarming point, if you if you uh, think about it, women are less likely than men to receive bystander CPR. Yes, um, that is very scary to hear. Um, the American Heart Association, we you know we are building a nation of lifesavers, and we are teaching as many people as possible, um, you know, to learn hands only CPR, and it's very easy, very simple. Um, all you have to do is call 911, send someone for a defibrillator, then push hard and fast, fast in the center of the chest. And um, a lot of people get nervous, you know, they don't for, you know, a number of reasons why they don't want to perform hands-only CPR on women. Um, but we, just to keep in mind, we do have the Good Samaritan law that actually protects people from being sued for performing hands-only CPR. Um, you know, something that we like to say is that, you know, there is no bad CPR. You know, if someone is unconscious and they are not breathing, giving any type of CPR will be helpful until, um, you know, an ambulance gets there or a medic or, you know, someone that, you know, can come and help. February is also American Heart Month, uh, which spotlight, spotlights that the heart disease is actually the number one killer of all Americans, men and women. But there are different symptoms for women uh, than men. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, some of the, um, in addition to, you know, having crushing pain in the middle of the chest, um, women specifically also um, get shortness of breath, shoulder pain, and extreme fatigue, um, you know, more than women usually would feel. And, um, of course, with a healthier lifestyle, you know, some of this heart disease could be preventable. Let's talk about some of those points that, that we should all keep in mind. Absolutely. Um, So eating lean proteins, fruits and vegetables, making sure that you are exercising 150 minutes per week, um, keeping your blood pressure below the 120 over 80, and talking to your doctor um, on how to keep your cholesterol and blood sugar levels in a healthy range. And um, also, you know, of course, wear women, uh, sorry, go red for women, uh, wear red day. There are a lot of events and activities. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on and some of the other awareness that, that's happening today and throughout the month? Sure. Um, so there's a lot going on in the month of February. Obviously, today is National Wear Red Day to, you know, raise awareness that cardiovascular disease is the number one health threat in women. Um, we are giving big focus to our 20th anniversary for our Go Red for Women event that's going to be in November. And, you know, really just spreading awareness. And you'll see around the Hudson Valley, um, you know, the YMCA in Middletown is doing a Zumba-thon to get people on their feet and moving. Um, We have our Women of Impact campaigns that are currently going on, which features um, six leaders within the community that are doing some peer-to-peer fundraisers to support the association. So things like hands-only CPR training, um, you know, different types of like nutrition classes and, you know, really ways to get involved in the community and to bring awareness and prevention. And, you know, we mentioned you're the development director for the American Heart Association in the Hudson Valley. Um, what kinds of things uh, is the Heart Association doing, you know, year round, not just on these days or these these months of awareness to, uh, you know, increase the awareness and, and, and uh, you know, doing things in the state to uh, provide better care for, for women? Yes, um, we're advocating for um, better treatments to reduce disparities. Um, last year, we were instrumental in getting New York State to expand medical coverage for postpartum care to 12 months, uh, making the time after giving birth safer for all women. Um, year-round, you know, the money that we fundraise through these events, it's going towards um, getting defibrillators into organizations that don't have them, getting hands-only CPR training um, with for organizations, 
And, you know, when you walk down the aisle in a grocery store, you know, you can see our logo on certain food products that we have had, you know, professionals work with the food system to say, okay, we're lowering the sodium in this to make it healthier for people. Um, So there's a bunch of things that we do all year round, and, you know, that money goes towards research and ways to implement things to um, prevent cardiovascular disease. So if you see that symbol in the grocery store aisle, that's something that, you know, the company can't just put on there. They have to go through you guys and it has to be vetted. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, It's a Go Red for Women National Wear Red Day. Where can folks get more information and also how, you know, share some photos of today? Absolutely. Um, Join us by wearing red. Um, You can share your photos with the hashtag wear red day and um, you can also tag us at aha new york on facebook instagram and twitter um, you can also visit heart.org or go red for women.org for more information valerie ubriaco the development director for american heart association in the hudson valley thank you so much for joining us and raising awareness on wear red day and uh, american heart month awesome thank you so much for having me i appreciate it Okay, we'll take a break. And when we come back, February is also National Children's Dental Health Month. Cavities are the most common chronic disease of childhood, yet cavities are preventable. We'll take a break. And when we come back, Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scotton has more from Prasad's Children's Dental Health Program. This is Radio Catskill. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, could a new set of rules restore trust to academia? These are not one-off cases. You have to fix it. But is academia even capable of changing? I think that my generation fought against the open science movement for far too long. The hidden side of academic fraud. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Catskill. This is Radio Chat Skill. I'm Tim Bruno. February is National Children's Dental Health Month, dedicated to raising awareness and promoting the benefits of good oral health to children, their caregivers, and teachers. The Prasad Children's Dental Health Program provides accessible dental care and education to children through their mobile dental clinic, which travels to various schools in Ulster and Sullivan counties. Their mission is to provide high-quality dental services through education and prevention, Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scotton spoke to Dr. Cecilia Escara, dentist and administrator of Prasad's Children's Dental Health Program. My name is Dr. Cecilia Escara. I am the administrator of the Prasad Children's Dental Health Program, and I have been working with the organization since 2002. So it has been a wonderful journey together. And the mission of Prasad Children's Dental Health Program, or Prasad CDHP, is to improve the oral health of children by providing education, prevention, and treatment. And our clinic goes to the schools. We are um, an Article 28 uh, health care center approved by the New York State Department of Health. And this is important because by being at the schools, we are where the children are. Right? Children go to school. So in this county, with limited transportation. We help parents by providing services right at the schools, you know, with their permission, of course. And also we provide uh, dental education. So last year we celebrated 25 years. So now we're moving to the 26 years of serving the children in Sullivan County. And every year, approximately 4,000 4, children benefit from, you know, our education dental and dental treatment. Why dental health and dental care is important? Uh, you, many of you may be available or not, that in the United States, dental diseases are the number one chronic illness of this childhood. Every year, 51 million, look, 51 million school hours are lost because of children with dental diseases. And a child who has cavities and has pain cannot eat, cannot sleep, cannot learn, and also affects their smile and affect their future, right? Because when you are not confident or affect your self-esteem, it could have, you know, a negative uh, consequences for, for the future. So that's basically what we do. And we love what we do. Still, there is a lot of work to be done in the community, but that's, that's where we are. We are, we're committed, you know, to, to continue providing 
dental services here in Sullivan County. And like you mentioned, you've been doing this work since 2002. What does it mean to you to be able to do this kind of work? And what is what are some of the biggest impacts you've seen in the community over the last 25, 26 years now? A wonderful question. I, I am a dentist and of course I, I love my private practice in the past, but being with Prasad is, is meaningful because we provide dental services to children that without us, they would not receive it. So we have been serving three generations. That's the impact. Uh, every time I go to the clinic, I had the opportunity to speak with parents. And some of them, they tell me they were our patients uh, or they were grandmothers who their children and grandchildren come to us. And uh, late last, I think a couple of months ago, I interviewed um, one uh, mother and, and she said, oh, I, I think I was one of your first patients in 1998. Hey. And, uh, and now I bring my three children and I cannot think of taking them to any other place because I feel safe and I feel comfortable. And I think that's the best answer to the question about the impact, right? Uh, we could also talk about numbers, but for us, it's important to provide high quality treatment as well as giving children a great experience. The mm -hmm. first time you come to the dentist is so precious that it is so important that you have a good experience. So the rest of your life, you will feel good, you know, going to the dentist and, and having good oral health. Yeah. And I know you guys just got a new mobile dental health clinic, which I'm sure is very exciting. Looking forward to the rest of 2024, what are you excited for and kind of what is next for this program? Yes, we are so excited about the new mobile dental clinic. Uh, thanks to a grant from the Mother Cabrini Health Foundation, we are so grateful for the support. We we have a new dental clinic uh, with top-of-the-line equipment in this way this year and also for many more years, we will be able to continue to provide services, you know, with high quality and and make these services sustainable. So for that for the short and long term, and also for this year uh, in February, is very special because February uh, is National Children Dental Health Month, and it's a time dedicated to raising awareness about the importance of children's dental health. Of course, it's February, but we should do it the rest of the year too, right? To make sure that uh, parents, caregivers, or teachers understand the importance of us together, right? Helping the children in, in our community too to have good oral health and good, good habits, you know, for now and for the rest of their life, you know. Mm -hmm. And like you just mentioned, February is National Children's Dental Health Month. Um, what is the importance of raising awareness um, for children's dental health? And if there are any children listening, do you have any dental hygiene tips for them? Well, yes, uh, for everyone. <laughs> I would say for children, but also for their uh, parents, caregivers, and teachers. First, brush your teeth. You know, help children learn how to brush their teeth at least twice a day. Very important, at least twice a day, number one. Number two, diet. Avoid eating sugary drinks and snacks to prevent dental cavities. Number three, visit the dentist regularly, at least twice a year. So these are the very basics. And most of the children, if they are listen, listening to us, uh, they receive dental education at the schools. We have um, an educator who goes and shows them how to brush and everybody receives a toothbrush from us. So not only we show them, it's very interactive. They also get the toothbrush and they could continue brushing at home, hopefully. The other important part is that to deliver our services, we need financial support. Uh, a new mobile dental clinic is wonderful. And then we need to pay salaries. We need to buy dental supplies. So we would appreciate and we appreciate the support of our current partners in the community and donors. And, and I encourage, you know, new donors also to join us, you know, by becoming a, a monthly donor 
or making a donation. We will make sure we will use the funds to to improve the oral health of the children in our community. That was Dr. Cecilia Escara on National Children's Dental Health Month. I'm Marin Scotton for Radio Catskill. We'll take a break, and when we come back, a preview of tomorrow's 26th annual Student Jazz Festival in Liberty. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Callison Stratton, a singer-songwriter, public historian, and host of Liberation Station here on WJFF Radio Catskill. Liberation Station is a show that highlights the work of female and femme-presenting performers across genre and time. It's my little way of balancing the scales of representation on the radio. Join me for Liberation Station every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. The Liberty Central School District Music Department hosts the 26th annual Liberty Jazz Festival tomorrow. The festival features high school and middle school jazz ensembles from the Liberty, Monticello, Tri-Valley, and Livingston Manor School Districts. I spoke to Liberty Central School District Music Department Director Eric Awe for a preview. So it's the 26th annual Liberty Jazz Festival, and it's going to be this Saturday, February 3rd, and it takes place in the Liberty Middle School Gymnasium. And we've obviously been doing this for a long time now, and it's a really great opportunity for the students to um, work with some fantastic jazz musicians and uh, play some some awesome music and kind of like synergize with the rest of the school districts in in the county. So how long does it take for you guys to get this together uh, with the different musicians in the different schools and everybody rehearsing and getting ready to perform? Yeah, it takes us quite a long time. Um, we usually start the process in the beginning of the year. Um, we, we we talk over some some different musicians that would be, you know, a good choice to work with the students. And, um, you know, we kind of go from there. And then we, we branch out to the rest of the districts in the county and we see which districts are interested. And it's actually, it's grown quite a bit over the last couple of years. Um, it basically started off with just two participating schools. It was Liberty and then Monticello. But now we also have Tri-Valley as of a couple of years ago. And this year, Livingston Manor, Manor is actually participating for the first time. So, it's going to be a, a huge festival. We have about 125 students, so um, it's going to be it's going to be a big one. And you mentioned you work with jazz musicians. This year's clinician, I guess you would call it, is Sam Newsom. What role does he play? And tell us a little bit about Sam Newsom. Sure, um, I actually know Sam Newsom. I've known him for a long time. We actually went to uh, college together at Fredonia. And um, currently, he's the uh, director, the band director at New Paltz High School, and he does the concert band there. He does jazz band. He does marching band. He has an African drumming class. He teaches music history, music theory, um, and he's, you know, just a real fabulous musician, very well-rounded. He does classical. He does jazz. Um, he's a great conductor. He has actually his master's degree in wind conducting. And his bachelor's degree is in music performance. Um, and he's a trombone player, um, also a baritone or euphonium player. So we're definitely really looking forward to having him. He's, he's a real fine musician. I think he's going to work really well with our students. What kinds of things will he do with the students? Is it sort of like a class type situation or what's the interaction like? Yeah, it's actually a great interaction. Um, so starting at three, there will be the master class, which is kind of like a clinic. So each band uh, prepares two different pieces, and they'll get about 10 to 15 minutes to work with um, Mr. Newsom on each piece. So they'll play their piece for Mr. Newsom, and then he'll offer some advice. So we'll have like all the scores ready to go, so Mr. Newsom can, you know, kind of uh, look at the scores and see, you know, what the bands are doing, and um, you know he'll have that opportunity to work with the students on things that they can improve in their performance. And then later that night, the concert's at 7. Yes, and then later that night, the concert's at 7, and the groups perform the same songs that they performed in the clinic. And the culmination of the whole event is we do what's called a mass piece. And this year, we're doing the song Sweet Caroline. And all the groups play at the same time, so it's really loud and really <laughs> boisterous, and the crowd really gets into it. And then the coolest part is that all the teachers take turns soloing, 
and then we end with the guest clinician. He takes kind of like a, an extended solo. So it's it's really fun, and it's it's I think it's the best uh, performance that we do all year. It's it's a real fun time for the kids and for the community, and it gets a lot of people out. And is this the first time you're hearing these other schools do that one performance that you all are doing, the Sweet Caroline? Yes. Yeah, we oh, wow. only have about a half an hour to put it together with all the schools. Oh, wow. So it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. So we do our clinic from 3 to 5, and then from 5 to 5.30, we rehearse this mass number with all, all the kids. And uh, it usually takes a couple of run-throughs, but we usually manage to pull it off. <laughs> You know, you're the director of music for Liberty. Talk a little bit about how uh, music education and, and, you know, your jazz ensembles specifically inspire these kids there. Yeah. Um, so what's great about the jazz program is that it's optional for the students. So all the students that are participating, um, you know, they're doing it out of their own free time. And, you know, some of the students have conflicts like they're in sports after school um, they're in a uh, like chess club or some other things. So they're really sacrificing their time and learning how to manage their time effectively. Um, and, you know, this is just another outlet for the kids. We try to give the students at Liberty as many outlets and opportunities in music in our program as possible, you know, whether that's jazz music or classical or, or band or orchestra, chorus, um, the, the musical, so we really try to be a well-rounded program and give our students as many opportunities as possible. And the Jazz Festival, certainly a highlight. Do you have some other things coming up that are highlights for you this school year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our 7th and 8th grade band is actually taking a field trip this Tuesday, uh, February 6th. And we're going to Western Wayne High School, which is in Pennsylvania. And we're actually collaborating with that school district. And we're working with uh, kind of a world-renowned conductor, Mr. Uh, Peter Boonshaft. Excuse me, Dr. Peter Boonshaft, <laughs> uh, who is a professor emeritus from Hofstra University. And uh, we're really looking forward to that as well. The kids must get a great satisfaction out of these collaborations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, between working with these great musicians and then you know also participating in these different ensembles with students from other schools, it's really a great opportunity for them. The 26th Annual Liberty Jazz Festival concert is Saturday. Uh, let's remind folks the details and where they can get more information. Sure. Yeah, so it's Saturday, February 3rd. And just in case, there's also a snow date of Sunday, February 4th. And the clinic starts at 3 o'clock, um, which is not open to the public. But the um, concert is at 7 p.m., and that's in the Liberty Middle School gym. And everyone is welcome to come. And the admission for the event is a suggested donation of $5 with a maximum price of $25 for a large family. And if folks need more information, they can contact you? Absolutely. They can contact me at the school. Uh, my number is 845-292-5400. And the extension is 5116 at the school. And they can also try my email. That's probably the best way to get hold of me. And that's E-A-W-E-H at LibertyK12.org. All right. And that was a Liberty Central School District Music Department Director Eric Awe uh, talking about the 26th Annual Liberty Jazz Festival tomorrow. That's all for this edition of Radio Chatskill. Monday, burnout. We chat with behavioral health coach Courtney Edwards about burnout and how you can prevent and manage it. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Narrowsburg Union and Catskills Curated, presenting products of regional artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen. Gift wrapping and shipping available on site. NarrowsburgUnion.com. The Cooperage Project in Honesdale, dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org. And from listeners like you, who donate at WJFFRadio.org. This week on Science Friday, combating chemicals causing cancer. Air pollution itself is an enormous carcinogenic burden. And now that CRISPR is able to treat sickle cell disease... Ten years from now, how many more diseases will CRISPR have cured? Some answers on the next Science Friday. Join us. Today... 
from 2 to 4 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You're on the go, and Radio Catskill can go with you. Listen live to Radio Catskill on your phone. Just type wjffradio.org into your browser and listen wherever you are. Stay up to date on local news, culture, and NPR on the go on your phone with Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, streaming online at WJFFradio.org. The forecast for the Catskills in northeast Pennsylvania, cloudy today, tonight, and through tomorrow, sunshine on Sunday. Today's high 37, lows tonight and tomorrow uh, in the low to mid-20s, also about a high of 38 tomorrow. This is Radio Catskill, local news, culture, and NPR. It's 11.